年11月20日女子プロレスの一番熱く長い一日史上最大の決戦ビッグエッグレスリングユニバースドーム上場対戦ただいまより開催いたします Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 14 of Big Egg Podcasting Universe. I'm your host, Stato. Joining me, we have David Forrest and Sarah Parkin. How are you guys? Good, good, thanks. I'm kind of looking forward to the fact that we are about to complete Big Egg. Finally, 15 long years it's been. It, it fucking feels like it.、Um, <laughs> it's, it what, what a way to go out, though. And it took us about nine decades to do the first 12. And then now that you're editing it, We've put out like four episodes in the space of like six weeks.、Um, because be honest, I realized. It's entirely down to the fact, David, that I am just, I, I want this over. <laughs> I want this out of my life. We all I, want I this like... over. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even. It's an albatross around my neck. Like, it, it, it keeps me up at night. We, we need to end this. And today we will. We will throw the <laughs> ring in the volcano. And that, that'll be a mount, the fires of Mount Doom will cleanse us of this. It's just going to be me and George fighting over the ring like Frodo and Gollum in the <laughs> rings of, like, in the chasm of Mount Doom. We're going to get home and find that a load of orc lads have moved into our house. What <laughs>、um, one for the book only people? Meanwhile, has everybody brought like, a really good change of clothes so that they, you know, obviously we've got different gear for each stage of the tournament? As we're looking at the V top today, has everybody brought a change of clothes so they can come out looking fabulous for like the quarters and then the semi final and then the final? Yeah, I'm just planning to get my bridal dress ready to go. <laughs> I bet it's lovely. It's, it's, it's exquisite. So we should probably get into the matches. So、um, if you've listened to episodes 12 and 13, you'll know that we've done the quarterfinals of the V top tournament. We've done all of the historical context. We don't need to do that anymore. We are just getting straight into it, right to the sharp end. So let us begin with match number 20 on the Big Egg Wrestling Universe. It is the first semi final of the V top tournament. We have Akira Hokuto versus Combat Toyota. So it's another inter promotional match. It's AJW versus FMW. So, Combat Toyota, if we remember, defeated Yumiko Hotta in the first round, and Akira Hokuto triumphed over Eagle Sawai. So, this match is this is kind of a curious one. We'll see what、um, I mean about this when we get into talking about it. Because, and this is kind of this is the case in a lot of tournaments. You do put some quick matches in there. For reasons of not wanting to completely knacker people who have got to wrestle three times in a night. So, this match is short and sweet, shall we say? 
So I don't think we will need to spend much time on it, but let's do so anyway. We, look, we covered the Indian child fighting. We're going to review this match. Um, oh, totally. I would argue that this is actually still, you know, in the upper echelons of the quality of matches on the big egg card, to be honest. I feel like it's it's short and sweet, but it packs its shit in in a lot of ways. It's just it's a very it's a very unique kind of dynamic. It is, although I would say with the caveat that it is in many ways quite similar to Hokuto's quarterfinal match. It's her versus a big lass taking a load of punishment and then uh, ultimately triumphing. But it is it's kind of a compressed version of that with some different spots because Combat Toad was really a different beast than uh, Eagle Sawai. The entrances, I mean, they're not. there's nothing really that much to write home about about the entrances or the interviews. I didn't find it's kind of like, yep, we're here again. We're, uh, we're coming out with our stuff. Yeah, but equally, they've all got they've all got new gear for the semi-finals, which is frankly, everybody was very confident when they were coming in and being like, I need a change of outfit for every round. And, you know, the assumption that you're going to need a change of outfit because you're going to appear for every round. It, it's pretty impressive, really. You know, even in, in kayfabe, it's like, oh, somebody came prepared. Um, but I love I'm absolutely loving that, you know, you're still getting these big pops. I just thought um, Combat Toyota's robe coming out with lovely like lovely black on the outside red lining and then kind of this red like red design across the front of it as well basically they've gone with the go big or go home it's the it's big egg it's the tokyo dome do, do you think those that change of outfits thing happened with the one night mma tournaments of the 90s i'm just picturing mikhail ilia kid stuffing five different sets of trunks into his bag before he has to take part in a 32-man tournament I, I had two thoughts about the costume changes. One, what did Eagle Sawai's final outfit look like that she had in her box and on her and her suitcase to take wings. to the dome? Just it in had case, full yes, wings. Full wings. Full wings. The second point was see if you weren't heavy, heavy, heavy into the uh, AGW at the time. You were sort of a casual, you know, who doesn't really follow the product that much. There's going to be at least one person in the dome who thought this is different people. Oh yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I mean, yes, they both look at Combat Toyota, who is quite distinctive, but, you know, what's the chances they get two people who, look, who have the same haircut like that on the same show? Incredible. Coming out to the same music and yet somehow also being completely different people. Everyone comes out to the same music on this show. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> yeah, but... It was about six people have come out to the, the uh, Combat Toyota music from this. Well, I suppose, you know, if we are only looking at the versions with the limited, shall we say, approach to copyright of the ones that make it to YouTube. Hokuto, meanwhile, pretty in pink. Very, very pink outfit for the semi-final. It's like hot pink as well. It's like fucking Bret Hart shade. Oh, yeah, it's really bright. Yeah, so like, uh, but both both looking extremely imposing, as they were wont to do. The... The matches, so they've they've really come out of the blocks. Like Toyota just walks up and slaps the shit out of Hokuto, and they start slap fighting each other. Like uh, so, I mean that that's always a way that you like a match to to start. And I like the fact that like so Hokuto slapped her before the bell, and usually if somebody attacks before the bell, the ref will be like, no 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 no, get back back in your corner. Is ah like, oh, fuck it, just ring the bell, go. Like... <laughs> yeah, he's like, look, all right, clearly this is how this match is gonna go. Yeah. I've refereed 11 matches on this show. I don't give a fuck anymore. Exactly. You know, he, 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 the best referee is the one you don't notice. You know, he's, <laughs> let, he's let the game, he's let them play the game, you know, um, let it flow. Well, yeah, if he, if he had, if he had put, got back to a tournament, it's just got people in the crowd. He's ruined the game as a spectacle. 
considering that this match is not very long and therefore they very much have to condense an awful lot of stuff into like however you know six or seven minutes or however long they get i kind of love that they start by being like we don't even have time to fit this all within the bell we're going to do some strike work we're going to do a massive slap before the bell's even rung and then it's what less than 90 seconds i think pretty much from starting with a slapping match to uh, um the high kicks and then a massive senton that hokuto does onto conductor who is on the floor it it, it moves so quickly like genuinely it's, it is the escalation and then it just kind of stays at kind of nasty bar fight pretty much for the next five minutes it, it's an early dive even by Hokuto standards it's beautifully oh, yeah. caught as well by the way by, by Toyota she's uh, it, it's very much the opposite of the, the dive on that recent Tokyo Joshi show where Billy Starks did the same thing to the outside except instead of combat Toyota she had May Sam Michelle catching her who is about a quarter of the size that and did it did not, not go, go so well, well. No, the the sound <laughs> horrible. No, I just landed in a tree. If it, if, <laughs> now that would be a spot. With a nice garnish. <laughs> um, I, 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 one thing I noticed of this is that Hokuto, you know, this is six minutes, and Hokuto is right. I only have six minutes to try and critically injure myself. Okay, that's fine. Um, I'll I'll fit, I'll still fit them in. I don't care. You can give me 90 seconds and I'll still put myself in a power chair. I don't care. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah, they're working at some pace. She's already pretty banged up, though, because did you notice that she's got a bandage on her thigh that wasn't there in the in the I didn't notice that, actually. Doesn't yeah, no, she she's wasn't got... going to the mummy for nothing. Yeah, no, she's a bit hospital. bandaged up. And to be honest, that could be legit. It could be, I mean, it could be worked. We've definitely seen that as an injury angle in kind of story, you know, stories like this before. It could be, it could be a work, but it's Hokuto. You can assume, you know, she's just, she's probably always just got a bandage in the back just in case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I love about after the dive is there's a really, I, I laughed a lot at this where Hokuto is kind of just, gets back in the ring, does a bit of gloating and waits for Toyota to get back in the ring. And then she rushes her like, right, I'm going to press my advantage. Oh shit. And just gets back drop driver. That was great. And um, what I love about, uh, and I think this really tells you a lot about the style of wrestling, like back drop driver, Toyota doesn't even go for the pin, just does some drop kicks and then hits that, that, that like elevated choke slam that she does, which I don't quite know what to call it. it kind of looks like she's going for an Olympic slam at first. So, like, yeah, back door drive is not enough. I'm going to go for another big move. There is also, I mean, not everything in this match does um, pan out as you would think. There's a bit just after that where Toyota puts Hokuto on the top rope and seems to be going for a top rope backdrop and Hokuto counters with a sunset flip powerbomb, which was very, very messy. I mean, messy, but you don't expect anything less from this type of match. And certainly yeah, not from yeah, the people who are in it. Yeah, like I mean, th- yeah, that move was ropier than the Gladiators ladder in the final, but um, <laughs> like, um, but yeah, like I, I agree. Like I, I like the fact that this was six minutes. That it was not polished in any way, shape, or form. Um, it was kind of all over the shop a bit, but I kind of I like the energy that I had of right. We've got six minutes. Let's kill ourselves intentionally or unintentionally. I think it's actually better to save the sprint for the semis rather than having the final be the sprint. Like yeah. the final should feel like the most epic match. I remember that the one year Sarah and I went to super strong style 16, the final was really short. It was only like seven minutes and um, the crowd clearly wasn't ready for it to end because they were chanting, fuck him up, Tommy, fuck him up at Tommy end right through the finish. <laughs> it was like, oh, oh shit, that's it. All right. 
<laughs> so yeah, I think there's something to be said for if you're gonna do a match like this, yeah, yeah, do it at do it at this stage just so when it does come for the final, the crowd doesn't end up feeling uh, shortchanged at all. Um, but I mean, this also has quite a distinctive feel, not just for being kind of the the mad sprint type of match, but also because like this is the one where finally someone puts a table in the ring and someone throws a table at another person. Before that, like how they set it up, there's um. Toyota just gorilla presses Hokuto to the outside and I was just thinking oh someone's going to catch it because I'm used to watching stardom where there's like nine teenagers to catch every high spot like, no she just gets fucked onto the floor after no one which... there <laughs> nope I like there's the a... camera angle as well made it look like you could you couldn't tell how big the drop was or what was there so it was just kind of just went into the void and then yeah and then you're like oh my god that was the floor and that's worse than what I expected I mean Hokuto does ourselves no favours here no, but yeah, I'll, I'll just get military pressed on the concrete. That's, <laughs> that's fine. Semi, it's a semi-finals, George. You need to put, pull something out. To V top. Come on. I did actually wonder whether it was whether that was an intentional choice by the um in terms of camera moves because do you want to see her like disappear into the void or do you want to see the impact and to be honest i'm kind of glad that we didn't see the impact but i think it might just be that whoever was producing this kind of didn't really see didn't really see what was coming. I mean, they're probably pretty tired as well. <laughs> they're, oh, yeah. they're, they're, they're very much at the dregs of their 17-hour um, shift uh, doing the cameras. So, yeah, definitely. They're like, ah, fuck it. Let's, let's, just, let's just get to the end of this. You'd like to think some of these cameras, some of the camera folks were, you know, working shifts. They're like, you know what, right, union rules. You've gone halfway through. You're going home before the shoot boxing. I mean, judging by the efforts that were gone to by, say, the Japanese government in the early 60s to crush anything the least bit left-wing. I don't think these workers are unionised. Nah. Um, they threatened a general strike if any of them were made to uh, film the child fighting. They were like, no, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> Industrial action. But, uh, yeah, the... I mean, when... Toyota, after Toyota just twats Hokuto with the table after in the ring, uh, she sets it up and just before doing that, gives Hokuto. Uh, I, I thought she was going to power bomb through the power bomb through the table. She just powers yeah, her next to the table and then lays her on the table. And then we get an impact, arguably more horrifying than the flip dive to the outside or the gorilla press. Toyota goes up top and goes for something I think is probably akin to the whoopee cushion that uh, Doink the Clown used to do. You know, when it's, it's basically like a bandai drop. You know, you she you just land with your ass on the person. However, Hokuto moves off of the table and Toyota's she doesn't go through the table. Her ass just skids off the table and then she hits the deck. That had to suck. I you know never ever me of... thought I would hear the words doink the clown said in this episode. <laughs> it actually it made me think of um John Cena when he used to do leg drops for tables, because he loved that for a while. Remember he used to do like a leg drop off the top rope? Oh, I... uh, for the tables, it kind of reminded me of that. But I mean, you know, um, John Cena hit it sometimes, so you know. <laughs> and then, then John Cena presumably read that article about Hulk Hogan having shrunk two inches in height because of all the atomic leg drops had fucked up his spine and gone. Actually, you know what? I'm good. And that actually just leads into the finish. That impact. Hokuto picks up Toyota, uh, hits the Northern Lights bomb for three with the sort of knee in the throat cover toyota kicks out at 3.1 for interpromotional reasons <laughs> and um, that's the match that's it about six minutes or so i triumph eight stars um <laughs> I, I should 
I actually genuinely really, really liked this. It was just all over the place and like not pretty whatsoever. But it was six minutes. They clattered fuck out of each other. What more do you possibly want 16 hours into Big Egg? <laughs> you know, at this point, you're like, let's get through this, but also clatter the fuck out of each other while you're doing it. Um, and yeah, they did. And it was great. It's just a very effective route to the final at the end of the day, isn't it? And I think they all, for a lot of people, this is transitional. That this is kind of the transitional moment. It's quick, it's brutal, um, it packs its shit in. I suppose it's just quite slight, and that's just the nature of the beast, because I think once she's gotten past the first round, everyone knows that Hokuto's making the final as well. So don't it's, you don't need to stretch it out, really. And as well, so I like the fact that, yeah, it was short, so like you might see some you might have seen some criticism or whatever, you know, at the time, whatever people might have, you know, levied at this, you know, oh, it's a six-minute match because it's a semi-final and we just need to get to the final. But So it's kind of a, a free hit, you know, an easy pass. This was not an easy pass. Kira Hokuto got fucked up in this, even though it was six minutes. So you kind of combine the, yes, it's really short and you're not having to physically exert yourself for great amounts of time, but as well as like you're giving people enough of a struggle in there to make it seem a legitimate route to the final. Yeah, and then after the match, uh, Hokuto cuts a promo which I didn't really make out much if any of but I do hear the word Arja so maybe telegraphed the result of the second semi-final a little I mean it's Arja Kong I don't think anybody really expects people to beat Arja Kong I think most people think that if Hokuto has gone to the final then Kong is also going to the final yeah and I, I to, to be honest I think that People would probably have expected the final to be two AJW wrestlers, right? It's, it's an AJW show. Mm. So, um, I, but I think Dynamite Kansai, who for it is her that we are going to be talking about in the next match, is enough of an obstacle. I mean, she was the ace of JWP. She wasn't quite sort of all-time legend status at this point. But I think, yeah, enough of an obstacle that that does plant a seed of doubt into the audience's mind for as, you know, as to who Octo is going to get in the final. I do like the idea that there was like one Japanese salaryman sitting there with a bookie slip with like Dynamite Kansai versus Comeback to the final one there, waiting to <laughs> like do a Western run like 40 billion yen <laughs> down at the, the Japanese Ladbrokes. Is there any, I don't know like what the rules are for bookies and all of that, but is there a maximum on the number of matches that you can have in an accumulator? <laughs> I, was just, I was just thinking that. Yeah, some guy putting on a, a 24-match accumulator on this. He's like, Sugar Sato, fuck my ticket. Speaking, um, speaking of someone who once got 15 correct ones on a 16-fold accumulator, and the, lot, the, the match that cost me a quarter of a million pounds was... Italy versus Scotland in the Euro 2008 qualifiers. Oh my um, God! There, there, there isn't, there is no maximum, um, maximum in terms of how many matches you've got on, or the pain in my heart. It's not, don't do it. It's, it's stupid, but you know you can if you want. I'm sorry <laughs> for your loss, David. I mean, is it a loss if you never had it? I would not be doing this podcast. I would be in San Tropez or wherever. <laughs> Um, you know, living like I, I, I was like like 19 at the time, a student. I, I would have, yeah, I, I'm not that I think about it much. <laughs> you would not have been in Saint Tropez. You'd have been in San Marino. <laughs> yeah, Good you, point, you would have been the one bankrolling flow rider to be in Eurovision. <laughs> Absolutely. Now it's time for match number 21. It is the second semi-final of the VTOP tournament, and as we have alluded to earlier, this match pits Arjikong versus Dynamite Kansai. People, it is time for a big last battle. 
I mean, it's not even really human conquers because it just ends up being a fair bit more violent than that. Like it's a bit more strike heavy. But fundamentally, this is, you know, this is the power wrestlers coming out to play. Yeah, I think human conquers implies a, uh, a somewhat rudimentary technique, shall we say. And we get a lot of different techniques in this in this fight. It's like you said, we always we expect Kansai to have kind of quite a, a strike heavy kind of quite submission, a lot more kind of quote-unquote MMA influenced you know type of style because that's what because that's kind of what she does and it's what we've seen from her already I think what's interesting about this match is that you don't necessarily think this is the match Arja Kong's gonna have no not at all like I mean I think we've noted in previous episodes well when we we discussed the Kong versus Toyota match that yeah Arja Kong is not known for her kicks but like she did that one high kick in that match it looked tremendous like she can do it she just doesn't need to and I'm just I've just checked on Wikipedia was Dynamite Kansai too sensible to actually do any MMA the answer is yes so sadly we didn't see her in the LLPWL1 tournament and I have to say respect to her for that oh yes I, I, absolutely one of the uh one of the joshi of that who made some very good career decisions um <laughs> so uh yeah this is i'm just gonna come out and say it, this is absolutely top tier in terms of the matches on the card i think this would be in my top few it might even be my second favorite on the card after the other roger kong match god this match is so good um it's not the longest of matches, but it's one of the most violent. It's 12 minutes, this. It it doesn't feel 12 minutes. Not at, at all. At all. No, it feels like there's a, it feels like there's some extended kind of fight sequences in this as well. It It's really, I love that Arja Kong is just always herself. You know, she comes out, I mean, I suppose this is, it's longer when you include entrances and things like that. But, you know, Kansai is coming out. So her gear is kind of, she's kept the same, like, the Green Power Ranger look, as we discussed it before, but she doesn't have her cape anymore. Presumably she feels like it's unnecessary. But she, like, she picks up speed and she sort of, like, she jogs back towards the ring. She's sort of trying to prove that she's ready for action and she's not kind of overawed by Arja Kong. Arja straight up just strides out to the ring, exactly the same, just with a title around her waist, striding with purpose, but also not rushing. It's like she is the classic, like, immovable object who's there like, nah, come at me, bro. She is herself, whether she is wrestling Dynamite Kansai in the Tokyo Dome or wrestling Raku at Corrigan Hall. I mean, this is true. But the fact that she's kind of so nonchalant about this match, the fact that she's just kind of walking to the ring, like, she's staring, like, she's staring straight at the ring. She's probably staring, like, straight at Kansai as soon as she can see her. But she's also not, she's not kind of like unduly, she doesn't look nervous. She doesn't look, you know, particularly concerned at all. She looks like she's like, okay, I'm here to do a job. Let's do a job. Not Except the job. That, yeah, I was going to say, but <laughs> crucially, spoiler alert, she is not doing the job. Of, of course of course, she's not nervous. She's fucking Arja Kong. <laughs> I, I can't imagine what fear looks like in the eyes of Arja Kong. I feel like she transcends <laughs> such things. Did, did, that, did this match surprise you guys in terms of what you were expecting? Um, I thought they'd hold back a bit more, maybe. <laughs> but then I, I should have yeah. known better. This is AJW in the 90s. They, they did lull, um, I think, quite a few people into... They started quite slow, but they started hard. So I think probably a lot of people in the audience, and if you're watching it for the first time, they maybe go, oh, it's going to be another Hawk to Toyota 
ten, you know, six minutes in and out, they'll absolutely batter fuck of each other, and then it'll be done. It'll be a nice short match to keep them fresh for the final. It was not. If anything, it was even more awful in terms of violence, but much longer. So, you know. Great. I mean, there's a, there's a bit about halfway through the match, which I genuinely thought was the finish, which was uh, the bit where Arjun Kong does like three backdrop drivers all for two counts. So it's like, OK, two count backdrop driver, two count backdrop driver. The third one's going to get the pin because like, wrestling loves a rule of three just as much as, as writers do. And then it didn't get three. And then they just wrestled for like five more minutes. Great. But I want to talk about this. I want to just rewind a little bit and talk about the start of the match because I fucking adored the start of this match. Um, so essentially what it was is that they look like they're going to do the classic test of strength, double knuckle lock. And just as she's about to link hands with Kansai, Arja Kong just gives her the Urukan. Amazing. Chef so kiss. Yeah, I mean, Sarah, Sarah said that it reminded, or um, I forget which pay-per-view, it, which AEW pay-per-view that was. Whichever one it was, it was the Eddie Kingston versus CM Punk match, where Eddie Kingston yes. literally, the, the bell hasn't even rung yet, and before it starts, Kingston just spins and just absolutely levels Punk with, with an hurricane. Pretty much exactly the same as what happens here, except that in, in that case it happens before the bell, whereas here it happens just afterwards. It's kind of, yeah, it was exactly the same thing. And we know that Eddie Kingston is a massive mark for Japan in the 90s. Yes. So this was almost certainly the match that he ripped that from. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's probably other matches that have a similar sort of tactic. I'm choosing to believe that, you know, because he, he does love some Arja Kong. I yeah, won't believe that. It does. just... It looked horrible. That could fell a tree. It did, although I would note that Kansai basically gets back up not long after, whereas, and I think sure. that's the difference between the psychology of this era and the psychology of something like AEW, whereas here, uh, you know, rather than Punk just being on the deck for fucking ages, Kansai gets back up after a little bit, and then they're running the ropes and double clotheslining each other, and Kansai actually hits her own lariat for a one count. Like, not too... No, not too long after that. So I, I, I think it's in the context of the match, it was kind of the element of surprise. It wasn't a possible death blow within the psychology of it. It was just uh, Arja Kong being a tinker. There's a really big kind of striking and kicking exchange really early on as well. Like you get you go from that kind of massive strike and then it becomes, OK, this is the kind of match this is going to be. They get into this really kind of brutal. I mean, Dynamite Kansai's kicks, my God. Um, and then it turns out, oh yeah, no, Arja can do this too. Um, but then then we get into the submissions and this is what I really wasn't expecting. We get to a point where like Kansai actually really gets the upper hand when it gets into some of these holds. Like, And then she does the thing that I wish everybody did more often, which is find new ways to make holds painful. In this case, stomping Arja in the head while she's holding her. Well, while she's got her in the submission. Oh, yeah, when she's trying to get her over for the scorpion deathlock and she can't, so, so she good. just, like, crushes her head beneath her soul. Yeah. That's two Kansai matches in a row that have had a really good spot getting into or out of a submission, by the way. Oh, yeah, it's 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 incredible. I mean, she does a lot of submissions in that part. Like, there's this heel hook and a kind of front neck lock, which Kong uh, counters with a water wheel drop. Very much nice. Shout out to our boy Salmon. But, um, yeah, I, I, I very much... Uh, I, I just I just love this entire sequence. I, I thought it was I thought it was great. I also enjoyed when Kansai tried the armbar and it didn't work out so so well because it just ended with Arjun Kong on top stomping and kicking her. 
Yeah, there's a there's a long sequence of a knee bar and working the knee and then she and then Kantai powers it through into a sleeper and then Aja gets her up and turns it into a suplex and then it just moves into another hold. It's actually really fluid, but every bit of it feels like it's a battle of strength and like it's a battle of wills, like you can almost see the friction. Yeah, it's not this Zack Sabre Jr. shite where it's just transitioning from hold to hold to hold and it's just uh, there's just no meaning behind behind any of it. It's just transitions. There's some good throwing just in general as well. Like whenever someone can like do a throw on, do a throw to Aja Kong, you earn my eternal respect. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of Aja Kong as well is that it doesn't really matter who you are. As you say, Aja Kong is at home, you know, fighting Danny McCann in the Tokyo Dome or facing Raku and trying to avoid the Good Night Express. You know what I mean? Like she has gets a consistent character and like one of one of my favourite things about wrestlers and wrestling in general is a good wrestler's ability to have a match with anyone and you know they're able to read the other person figure out their strengths and work with it and i feel that Azure Kong done that really really well in all three of the matches here but obviously how hard is it to find you know minami toyota and akira hokuto's strengths it's not it's not difficult do you know what i mean like to get a good match at them dynamic anyway, kansai is brilliant as well but like i feel that kong and kansai really up the level and they they, they just had a you know, a maximalist version of that match that you would see from other people, but Kong took it up a level and Kanzai rose to it. And yeah, I yeah, really, really, really thought that the the way they worked this was really, really interesting. I think the the really impressive thing is uh, you were saying with regards uh, Toyota Hokuto, but Kong will have wrestled those people countless times, but Arjun Kong, Dano, and Kanzai would be by no means common opponents for each other. So I think the fact that this match is so great is a testament to uh, you know how how incredible these two were as workers uh, at this time. Uh, can we talk about the pile driver, by the way? Like the commentary has never been so chill for a jumping pile driver. Oh, it's, it's like that's the most relaxed I have ever heard a commentator. Although in fairness, jumping pile drivers are a transitional move in 994. Yeah, yeah, yeah. whenever there's a jumping pile driver, it's really just matter of fact jumping pile driver it's like there's no like ah the um the kind of a shimpei nagami when yuji nagata wins a match there's like there's there's none of that stuff it's just like yeah this is sure is a move but i think that the thing that really impressed me look look, i'm gonna if you give arja kong a pile driver of any kind that's gonna impress me she's a very big woman because i had her in the air a long time yes yeah yeah um there was there was um more than one um moment in this where she she held up Kong and I, I I think at one point I was watching I said fuck off no way and then she fit uh, she like dropped her because oh, of course and I was like all right okay that's a good wee tease and then just picked her up and done the move anyway and I was like oh okay yeah it's so so good just to have a sort of command of someone of that size and be able to do that sort of stuff is just incredible oh yeah that's the bit towards uh, a little bit further uh, towards the uh, towards the end of the match um they they do do a Few, yeah, a few more submission spots. They kind of, rather than having the submission struggles be the the main thing, they're kind of now peppering in stuff like, you know, stiff kicks to the chest, body slam, second rope splash in there. But then, you know, Archicon going back to stuff like the cross face chicken wing. There's a, probably my favourite spot in the in the match, just because I, I thought this was really creative and cool. So, um Kong gets Kanzai in the Argentine backbreaker and then just runs her into the corner and puts her in a kind of tree of woe. So she's kind of facing downwards. And then 
she goes for a corner charge and then Kanzai just holds herself up and just holds her fist out and uh, so that Kong's head just goes into it. It's not really a punch. It's just like, I'm going to do this. If you get punched, it's your own fault. It's absolutely brilliant. I really love that. It's a, again, you just want something clever. You want it like sensible ways in and out of the tree of war, basically. And, and Kansai is just finding really cool ways of kind of getting herself out of the situation. Yeah, and after the uh, this then precipitates the, uh, the spot I was on about earlier with the multiple backdrop drivers, and there's a really and again this isn't the the sort of like New Japan counter you know Gay Gordon wrestling stuff. It's again it feels like desperation dodges rather than a dance sequence. So there's a um, after that Kong goes with the top rope rope elbow, but before she can do it, Kansai recovers and goes up to join him on the top rope and seems to be going for the, the top rope splash mountain that we had in the, in the previous match. But instead Kong Urkens her off the top rope, but then Kansai still dodges the splash and hits a couple of, uh, hits some kicks. Like that whole sequence I thought was really fast and really fluid without feeling as though it was rehearsed or choreographed and actually is a great transition into what I would just call the trying to get a shitty win by standing 10 count portion of the match. <laughs> I kind of I like that we get to this point because you're only about halfway through this match when Arja starts doing the things that she only does if she's in trouble. She starts taking the risks really early on, doesn't she? Like, and then eventually you start getting her doing like her middle rope back elbow. It never feels like she's you know really got a really sort of up against the ropes or anything but she she's clearly really trying to pull new stuff out of the bag or like take risks and she definitely feels like she's under pressure it does but i also feel that like there's an interesting bit of storytelling with this in the the fact that after kansai does christ knows how many kicks to the head the fact she's happy to take a win by standing 10 count shows respect to uh shows respect to arja kong and there is actually a really good fake out at this point where it, it's a standing nine count because like kong stumbles at eight yeah and uh and, and it's at this yeah. point that we get the spot with the um the splash mountain where she doesn't get her up the first time and i, I don't know if that was uh planned or not but I yeah mean, it was it, it, it doesn't really matter in the context of the match really uh because like it's still great and then kansai charges uh Arjun gets urkened for an eight count after which kong just hits a bunch of palm strikes and another urken for a nine count it's so good and then what, what one highlight of the match for me is that after this, Kansai hits a really shit move. I don't know what it was meant to be. It's kind of like a desperation sidewalk slam. She barely looks like she's holding on to her. It looked really crap, but that like it kind of worked with with this. It's like she's so messed up from all the palm strikes and the back fist that she can only do whatever the fuck that was. <laughs> I my thing with it like this match is that like. Last man standing matches are like my least favorite stipulation in wrestling. I fucking hate them. They're they can, they're so tediously dull like ninety percent of the time. Um, so I'm never usually a fan of the standing ten count because it's usually oh we get up before the night oh blah, blah, and it's for that for like twenty minutes. But I thought it really worked in this because I, I, it was quite interesting because I don't think we've ever seen a a standing ten count. And then the other match that wasn't like shoot boxing or you know Doris Blinds or anything like that. I mean like, um, and um, but when they pulled it out, you're like, all right. And I I was fully ready for it to be a ten count finish. I was fully ready for Kansai just to be sparked out for ten from American or something like that, and that be done. Because I'm like, why are they? It's sort of a Chekhov's gun sort of thing. 
of why are they doing a standing 10 count just out of nowhere 19 matches into this show um, where, where is this going but it also sowed the seeds for look how much Asha's going through where she's getting standing 10 count because the referees are like no she's taking too much punishment you know we I need to do the 10 count to possibly you know possibly end it for our safety and stuff like that and if it works really well it kind of builds the sort of the you know the heart that she's taking um in this and it was good sort of storytelling for the final which we'll get to in a wee bit where oh, you yeah. had this of her struggling to stand and stuff like that and yeah, then yeah. that comes back in the final and it's a really good um plot device they're weaved into this match which i really really like so standing 10 count despite the fact that standing 10 count is one of my least favorite things in wrestling um like a last man standing match i thought it really worked in this and was great I love a standing ten count when it's not in a last man standing match. Yes, I think I, I think I think that's the key. The only good last man standing matches involve the big show. Don't at me. I get yeah. where you're coming from with that because you know fundamentally the big show shouldn't really lose many last man standing matches. No, or any wrestling matches if we're going to go back to uh, David's Mrs's uh, theory. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's how do you top the tree? Oh, you know, you're gonna have to like put an amplifier over or, or his leg or something like that, like Judgment Day 2000 <laughs> or whatever. And uh, you know, you know, I mean, yes, it, it works in the big show and pretty much nobody else. So I would, I would go with that. This then gives rise to uh, after after the shitty sidewalk slam from Kansai, we get a another flurry of offense from Arjun Kong. So Kansai goes to the top rope. Uh, Kong Urkenta off it, great. Top rope mm-hmm. water wheel drop, great. Top rope elbow drop, which gets a two count out, did the water wheel drop. And then, fuck me, the top rope double foot stomp for two from Arja Kong, a huge woman, just landing on you with her feet on your stomach. <laughs> Horrifying. Genuinely, that was the bit where I, that was the bit during this whole match. All of the, all of the kicks all of the submissions, which all looked pretty horrible, that was the bit where genuinely my eyes watered. <laughs> oh, my God. The thing God. is, as well, everyone has been stood on. Do you know what I mean? Like, everyone has, like, <laughs> has someone fallen top That's of what them. you want to tell us, David. Yeah, 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 we're going full Tony Atlas here. But you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, like not everyone has taken a sidewalk slam or an Urican or a splash mountain or anything like that, but you've had someone, like, fall on top of you. And like either that's a thing that happens to everyone where you you'll fall you know you'll be in a mosh pit or something and you'll get you know stood on or, or you know something like that like it's a very relatable pain I think that's the, the thing that gets me because you can visualise it yourself like because you you will have had something like that happen in your life whereas not you know with uh, not many of us have been splash mountain. <laughs> no, I mean it depends how into backyarding you were, I guess. Uh, but um, I, I, I do on the one hand I would like to ask some questions about this idea that at some point or other everybody has effectively been double foot stomped but I feel like I, I don't I, want to interrogate I need to, I need to do a Twitter poll it's like lads we all know what it's like to be stood on right <laughs> make it sound so seedy Daniel's not even here right <laughs> after the double foot stomp uh, Kansai counters the attempt at the brain buster does about four head kicks to Kong and then Kong ducks a fifth and goes for the Urukan which Kansai blocks but then Kong just does another Urukan and another Urukan which gets a two count and then one final Urukan which and the, the, the I love the pin because um, it's very much like that um, Shawn Michaels John Cena one like Kong just collapses on her after hitting the Urukan she's got nothing left to give but that's the one that gets her the three and that really I, I, I've the match was really effective at making Arja Kong 
and Kansai did great to put this over as well. But like, it did so good at making Arja Kong looking, firstly, like a mighty competitor, but secondly, making her look vulnerable. And that's a really difficult balance to strike. Yeah. I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't really think that the finish is ever really in doubt because I no. think people know what the final of this tournament is going to be. But this is as near as anyone's ever come look, to, to making Kong look, you know, remotely vulnerable. Um, and you can tell that, you know, Kansai is over. And if she wasn't over before this match, she's certainly over now because once this match is over, the, ch- the crowd is chanting Kansai. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, AJW, they did work with Kansai some more. And you know, after this, uh, in 1995, Kansai is actually the person Arjun Kong drops the red belt to. So they clearly wanted to run this match back. Absolutely. I really do want to see that. I don't think I've ever seen their red belt match. And I feel like I really should, because uh, if it's anything like this, I am more than happy to get that in my eyes. I imagine it's like this, but worse. Like, and by worse, <laughs> I, and by worse, I mean better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I just, yeah, more of this, please. It was genuinely incredible. I would say, yeah, one of the best matches on the show. It will be in the conversation. I, I don't think there's really going to be that much debate about what the best match was on the show. I think we're probably all going to say uh, Kong versus Toyota when it comes down to it. But I tell you what, this is probably number two in my eyes. And the other thing is, yeah, that Toyota match was really great, but I think Kansai did more to seem a threat to Kong than Toyota was able to, just because of the the story that they told. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd go with that. I think you see when we get into kind of the, the loser's enclosure when she's interviewed uh, you know Kansai is very stoic um but she looks she's she's her face is hard it's like it's set and uh, you get the impression she's looking she's almost looking and going I'm coming for blood next time (laughs) and we know that and we know in fact that that is where this ends up you know this ends up with a red belt match yeah really really good stuff I would say you know obviously yeah watch all of Big Egg but go out your way to find this this is this is really good 100% this is the the Josh equivalent of like the FA Cup tie when like Tottenham get at no fucking Stockport or something like that, and then the manager after us asked him just to go out and play their game and give it all, and he did that, and I'm proud of him. And that was Dynamite Kansai, and it's like we knew Kansai was not winning this. Like no one was in any doubt, but she went out there, the lads, they all went out, they gave it all, and they they, they got a game out of Tottenham. Um, and you know it's you know they should be proud of themselves and when they go back to play Aldershot in the week um, you know they can take a lot of confidence from that. <laughs> what the Japanese equivalent of Aldershot is I, I assume it's very charming <laughs> well isn't Aldershot um, one of the places that has a really high proportion of um, military personnel so it's probably Okinawa <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, a great show, a great show. <laughs> really Maybe is. I'm overthinking this. I don't know. Um, but yeah, going back to going back to this match. Question: Do you think that this is one of Arja Kong's better matches? Because the thing is, she has such a vast and huge body of work. And let's face it, there's nothing too shabby in the back catalogue. Like you don't really get bad Arja Kong matches. So where do we think this is rated for her? I wouldn't say this particularly cracks top ten. I think. One of the weird things about Big Egg is considering the talent involved and considering, uh, you, you know, considering the number of matches on the card, I wouldn't say there's anything apart from the Kong vs. Toyota match where I would go, yeah, solid five stars without a doubt. I think there's lots and lots of really good matches, but 
I, I think there's, yeah, the, the stuff that is perfect, flawless. I think a lot of the matches have some kind of little flaw to it, whether this is weird interpromotional booking, uh, making making it so that the finish is a little bit weird, or the fact that it is a quarterfinal match, and so they have to be a bit within themselves at times. But yeah, I, I think that maybe being the second big best match on Big Egg, yeah, well, I probably wouldn't put it in the top 10 Arja Kong matches of all time, but that is really just because Arja Kong is incredible. <laughs> It's weird for me that this this show probably has the highest average rate of, of matches top to bottom in the cards. As in that, like in terms of like the worst match, I enjoyed more than I would say the like, the last four years of WWE pay per views. Oh, easily. Um, yeah. Like, it's far more interesting, fun to watch, and they're concise and compact and stuff like that. So, like, I think you could put, throw on pretty much anything from this show. And you watch it and you go, really good match. Really enjoy it. It is the it is, prototypical 8 out of 10 every week. But in terms of, as you say, like the, the absolute elevated status, top tier, eight stars, matches, whatever, this doesn't hit this. There will be better matches than pretty much everything on there. The, for the, Everyone in this card has a better match. I think that's the easiest way to say it. Everyone on this yeah. card has a better match in their career. However, in terms of from top to bottom, in terms of all the matches on there, it's got a far higher hit rate. And I think that this is a really good example of it. Of This is a great match, really enjoyable, really fun. Um, it's not the best Azure Kong match in the world, but the best Azure Kong match in the world is, you know, like insane. So I would say the best Azure Kong match in the world is like an hour and a half before this one. Exactly, yeah. So, hmm, okay, that's interesting. I think we'll come back and we'll do kind of a big egg mop up episode after this. But I think there's a legitimate question of is the Toyota versus Kong match from here the best Toyota match or the best Kong match? Um, but you know what? That might get controversial, so we'll save it. Yeah, fair. Okay, guys, it's time. 14 episodes, 23 matches. It has all been building up to this. The final of the V-Top tournament and the last match from Big Egg Wrestling Universe. Match number 23, Akira Hokuto versus Arja Kong is the V-Top final. Can you hear that in the background? It's Andrea Bocelli, um, <laughs> Tina Brightman, singing <laughs> Time to Say Goodbye. It's been, it's been an emotional <laughs> ride. Like, we, we've come so far. I mean, <laughs> Kong Tepot Partero. <laughs> I think, I think like, just before we get into this, when, when was the first episode of this? Like, what uh, were our lives like? We <laughs> well, we couldn't go outside for one. We recorded it before there was a pandemic. We put it out when lo- uh, we put it out after lockdown had started. I mean, and how much our lives have been culturally enriched, you know, just far, far better off as a country and as people. Um, it was August 2020, but it was definitely in the can before COVID happened. So that shows you how long it's taking us. Um, to get here, but yeah, um, it's it's going to be emotional, as Vinny <laughs> Jones would say. I just think, in our defence, number one, there's been a pandemic, and number two, all of us have had like major, major life events during that time. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, but is any major life event truly as major as wrestling a <laughs> wrestling Arja Kong in the main event of the biggest women's wrestling show of all time? Oh my God! This, this this is this is literally what it's all been building to. Like we we even get special entrances for this. We get them descending from the heavens in some kind of fucking pulpit. I don't picker. know. 
I was going to say, it's not a cherry picker. It's a space cherry picker. That's what it is. <laughs> space, a bedazzled space cherry picker. Yeah, That's it's basically a glitzier version of the tiny rings from WrestleMania 3. Like, it's it's so good. They're, they are descending from the heavens. Hokuto's in her white gear as well, like an avenging angel. Fuck, it's so good. Another thing that I think is noteworthy here, champion out first. Because this isn't a title match, so Arja comes out Arja comes out first and Hokuto comes out second. Oh, you know what we get in the Hokuto entrance as well? We get two mini Hokutos holding her train of her cape as she walks down the ramp. This is a fucking bridal train, this is. Like, it's so long. It, it, it literally is. It's so good. Yes. Oh, yeah, oh. absolutely. We get, I, I especially love, like, the cherry pickers... They, I mean, it looks kind of like a spaceship landing because they've got dry ice jetting out of the bottom of them, literally looking like fumes from a rocket or something. They get falling streamers. I think at one point there's like confetti being fired out of a cannon. Arj is quite interesting in this because she's kind of still striding the same way towards the ring. But she's kind of she fist pumps a little bit as well, almost like either she's like geeing herself up, um, which might be. I, I don't think... Is she nervous? I don't know, because she's knackered. Like, she's very clearly, like, she's been through the ringer and she knows kind of how tough this match is. What do you think that is, that kind of fist pumping as she goes to the ring? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't I don't know, to be honest. It's, uh, I think if she is nervous in, in kayfabe, then there's probably good reason for that. And you, you've you've laid the seed for Arja Kong being vulnerable in the semi-final, and we'll see that seed bear fruit in this match. So, yeah, I think your assessment's right, Uh Sarah, it very much could be part of that. And yeah, the fact that she is, she's just being herself. And we said she's always herself. She's doing a very much the standard entrance, you know, cherry picker aside. Whereas Hokuto, she's got her bridal train. She's got her mini me's. Her entrance is so long. We actually get to hear the second verse of the kids' Bob Oro Delay cover, which I, I was like, does that use a slightly different synth than the first? I think it does. He just going to a, a, a wee solo. Like I remember, I, I when I worked in Sky, there was um, home music, and I once went to a department where they just had slightly different home music where it went jazz in the second verse. I never, I never seen it again. And um, yeah, it was very much like, oh hello, what's, what's going on here? <laughs> we're, we're going sideways here. It was, yeah, really, <laughs> I really, I, I, I like this a lot, um, especially because I'd watched the semi-finals before, so I'd heard. Hawkins' song twice in the space of about 20 minutes before this happened, so I appreciated them juicing it up a bit. I'm I'm an absolute sucker for when this happened. Like hearing parts of wrestling themes you don't usually get to hear, like um the the full Jim Jim Johnston guitar solo in the Rock Entrance theme. That oh, that's so thing. good. Gnarly it's like four guitar minutes solo. long. <laughs> like Hangar 18 levels of guitar solo. <laughs> Um, or, or when the entrance theme, like the the celebration's been taking so long, the entrance theme they have to restart it. Generally, grown quite attached to the shitty synth version of Auto Delay, having watched this show. It's the friends have made along along the way. That's this this song. Um, yeah, it's it's great. Um, I think we'll, we'll definitely have to play it out. We'll all stand and salute at the end to. <laughs> Well, let me tell you, there's a lot of standing and saluting at the end of this match and all sorts of bobbins to go with it. But, you know, <laughs> friends that we made along the way. Yes. Um, Musak's I mean... synth version of Oro Delay. Um, and in David's case, also Bison Kimura and Doris Blind. <laughs> I tried to find the uh, this version of Oro Delay on Spotify last night. <laughs> Without success, my tired. It's disappointing, but, you know, I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. 
the thing I really liked about this as well is, so we're getting Arjun Kong, more or less standard Arjun Kong, maybe a bit more nervous, but not only does Hokuto have a big entrance, she is clearly very emotional before the start of the match. Oh, yeah. Like, like in a way that she hasn't been for the first two. Like, the occasion has really clearly got to her. And what, what I like about it, like, she's looks like she's about to break down in, in floods of tears. So Arjun Kong just slaps her. And, yeah. and, and Hokuto slaps her back. And I do wonder if that is kind of something she wasn't expecting. So it's kind of just a um, a reflex. Because after the slap, they, they just got a polite little handshake just after all that. So and I, I think she probably appreciated just being like, got out of this uh of this emotional reverie she was in okay, okay we've got a job to do we've got uh, we've got the, the big top to cap off no i think it's a mark of respect i think they're kind of it's all part of their geeing each other up because remember slapping each other is a way of imbibing each other with your fighting spirit that's what people do in retirement shows and things like that so you know outside of the match i think there's an element of them going okay there's so much respect between them you know they sort of slap each other they have a bit of a handshake and then the bell rings and they immediately start kind of circling each other you know and Hokuto picks up a bit of a speed and like it's obvious like they're definitely both going into this like it's a big deal it's a big competitive match and that each of them is giving each other the space to kind of centre themselves at the start of the fight. Oh yeah and that's what I love about this actually because you, you didn't get that in the previous matches always bam 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 at the start like we mentioned the Urken at the beginning of the uh, of the match with the up with uh, uh, the beginning of the Arjun Kong semi-final we mentioned the start of the Akira Hokuto semi-final with the uh, with the with the rush at the start but we don't have this it, they really go to some effort to separate this from the semis and make it seem like okay this is going to be a bit more of a slow burn this match is actually longer than both of the semi-finals put together as it turns out and they they're really laying the groundwork to prepare the crowd for something epic and momentous although i will say that after that brief feeling out process hokuto does go behind and do a tiger suplex so it's not that cagey <laughs> oh yeah well i think they both know that you know this is the big one this is you this is your full-on go big go home leave nothing out on the table and that's kind of hokuto's quickness i suppose she knows is something that she's really going to have to lean into against Arja as well i kind of I really love the way that this one kind of even the camera work really helps with that, because when they the minute the bell rings and they start circling each other, like the the camera angle on the version that we've been watching zooms out and you get the sense like the crowd is all cheering at the same time. And it's just it creates this massive sense of occasion like this is of all of the matches on the big egg card. This is absolutely the one that has the the big fight feel. What I think is really interesting about the opening of this match is it prepares you for it to be something that it doesn't end up being it prepares you for something which is quite akin to Hokuto's previous two matches where she's taken a lot of punishment fired up come back and won because um so after the tiger suplex she tries a spinning kick and uh Kong catches her into a backdrop she and then she just hits a sequence of moves we get close line in the corner scoop sandwich gets a two count a chin lock and then um which i assume something i assume elevated this to an easy five stars for david the great carly tree slam greatest of all time greatest of all time <laughs> i i popped so hard because she was she got her up in the in the choke i was like ah uh, if she just if, if she just drops her now ma chef kiss um can we talk about how we are looking at a match between arja kong and akira fucking hokuto and david just described the great carly as the greatest of all time this is what happens when you do a podcast with david forrest i've learned this over seven years <laughs> 
it's, it's frankly stunning that you're still here. Um, to be honest, yeah, I thought you'd have went and done some mahjong pod by now, but you know. Yeah, no, I, I don't want to show up by my lack of knowledge. I'm, I'm, I'm happy showing up my lack of knowledge on wrestling. Thank you. Um, so after the tree slam, jumping elbow again for a two count, another chin lock, uh, snake eyes on the ropes, some kicks to the back, suplex for two. Like this is all Kong for like a good few minutes. Uh, and after that, you know, it's only broken when Hokuto counters into a Fujiwara armbar, which, and I've just got written down. This is the first offense she's got off in a while. So they're really preparing you for... Okay, it's going to be the same kind of thing as the semifinals and the quarterfinal. And for reasons that we will get into a little bit later, it doesn't end up going that way. We do get another protracted slap battle, which Arjun Kong wins, as you would imagine she did. And then we get the jumping pile driver for two. (laughs) I love how little the announcers absolutely care about that. It's always funny. I know. It's an it's it's another way though, in the sense that like we heard something similar in the Kansai match as well. I actually think this match has more of the vibes of the first round matches than the semi-finals because it's kind of I suppose there's a fundamental like the the physical differences between them are kind of more in common with the first round matches than they are with the semi-finals as well. You kind of get a different take on that smaller woman versus bigger woman dynamic that you saw all through the first round matches. The uh, the other thing that I quite liked about this bit is that, yeah, you get the pile driver and, yeah, Kong is very happy to ground Hokuto. She puts in the heel hook and then transition to... I found this out the other day, by the way. Uh, do you know what the Japanese call a half crab? Go on. A shrimp hold. Isn't that great? Oh, that's it's, good. It's a great. little crustacean. Like that. <laughs> that is absolutely <laughs> delightful. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, she does the shrimp hold, cross face, ankle lock. So again, just cycling through uh, submissions and kicks Hokuto in the leg, hangs it in the ropes and kicks her in the leg. Uh, does the shrimp hold again. So yeah, really all Kong, but save for a couple of moves. And then things take a turn. And this is really, I think, the story of the match from then on. So Kong picks Hokuto up, um, kind of like a, a suplex, except instead of doing the suplex, she dumps her to the outside. And then Audrey Kong starts, takes a bit of a run-up. I was like, fuck, surely she's not. No way. Uh, and then does a suicide dive. You've wrestled two matches. And the worst part is that Hokuto moves. So Kong just goes flat on the floor. Uh, after which Hokuto, she's up top. She does her flip dive to the outside, which we've seen in the previous two matches. But then a curious thing happens, and that is that Arja Kong keeps selling the knee. And she keeps and keeps selling the knee. By God, does she sell it? Oh, my God. And then so... the doctors come, and there's an extended medical timeout, while Akira Hokuto is standing in the ring. And although I don't speak Japanese, it feels like she's either shit-talking the doctors or she's shit-talking Arja to stop complaining and get in the ring. Yeah, like, I think... We, we need to spend a bit of time unpacking just what went on here. What was the bit of business that happened? I, now, I've watched this match before, but years ago, right? And I simply had no recollection of the fact that this was a, a thing that had happened. Like this, it, it's it's a curious decision for them to have made. But that's the thing. Was it a decision that they made? So I've I've done a little bit of chatting to people about this. And we've got a friend who knows about a lot about Japanese wrestling uh, in the 90s. And he, he did say with the caveat, he might be getting the time 
line wrong, but he's pretty sure that this was a work. All right. And the and some of the proof for this is that so what he said was that she channeled when she actually had a knee injury and she just sold it based off of that. And I mean, the idea that this was a work is borne out a little bit by the fact that Kong actually wrestled five days after this, although this is AJW, uh, you know, unless you're in the hospital, you were working that show. So, look, I don't know one way or the other. Like, was she actually hurt? Um, Was she selling, pretending to be hurt? All I'm knowing is if this is a work, I'm not saying it is one way or the other. Fucking hell, this is the most realistic and harrowing selling of all time. This match is uncomfortable to watch. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like, I think the fact it worked so well is that we talked in the semi-finals about how Asha Kong is Asha Kong. She just comes out. She's nonchalant. You know, she just wrestles as she does. She's always stoic and has that. So she has a demeanor that she never breaks. And then in this, she just takes the mask off, chucks it into Rose Ed, and then is like. You know, absolutely greeting. I, I like properly screaming, crying in pain and stuff like that. You see tears. Like she, she absolutely just. This is going to make me sound like an absolute dickhead who runs a wrestling podcast, right? But she shatters her own mystique with this, and like she is the stoic, you know, stony warrior who's always never, he's never phased. I and mean, even like the Maxi Impaler, um, you know, in the. Tokyo, uh, the Tokyo Joshi six man, where they're all selling how terrified they are, and as this whole thing is, I don't care who she is, I'll be her. And exactly. Like it's it's not a perfect comparison, but you understand where I'm coming from with it. But yeah. in this, the facade has dropped, and she is like, no, it, this is going to sound incredible cheesy when I say this. Erica um, wrestled this match, not Azure Call. <laughs> like, this, this is Phil Brooks talking to Paul. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know it's it's a shoot. You could you clearly see it's a shoot. You know, um, you know Kevin Nash was in the background text, getting texted by Triple H to come out. Asha Kong rolled the dice and thought on this on this stage, this is the time to pull off. She went nuclear on this, and I don't think it works anywhere else. I don't think it works in any other match. It was this one where she took a punt and she she went for this, and she absolutely went for it. And yeah, it was it's it's harrowing. It's absolutely harrowing. Um, I would say I read the Cabrada review of this. He oh, did I... not have the same opinion of us. Uh, he was like, "Come on, this is like Razzie level bad acting." So like, not. It's no, great. It's not absolutely it's not. Great. It's it's great. It's absolutely she is, great. She is making noises that you never usually expect. Arja Kong, of all people to be making and uh, but you, like, don't, you I, don't hear it in wrestling either like you don't no. you, you, like people don't sell it this when they are selling a wrestling move it is no, it, it's, I, it's, it's it's not wrestling selling it is not it's it's completely different it's I, I don't think any wrestlers are this good at, at selling uh, you, you know maybe maybe Arjun kong is just an incredible actor and you know like i say i think the uh, we're going back to what we were talking about with Zoe about uh, you know evidence for and against uh, this being a shoot, this being a work. I think the things you would say in favour of it being a work is she wrestled five days later, and it's it's a little bit too neat in that she took a big risk and fucked her knee off the suicide dive in the story. But then again, it is a, a dangerous move to do, especially for someone who is you know, not a high flyer. So 
I don't know, but let, let's assume for the for the sake of argument that this was all staged and she was actually completely fine. I think it does work as a as a story, but I would say just two things about it. I would say firstly, does it put Hokuto over great in in that she is defeating a version of Arjikong Kong that is not one hundred percent? And secondly, when you have just sat through uh, ten hours of wrestling. Is this the, the direction you go with for your tournament final? Like, I'm not saying that this match should have been uh, a, a fucking, like, Julia Red Belt defense, uh, Bushy Rhodes epic full of big moves and not a lot else. But it's certainly not what I would expect from a tournament final. And I, I would imagine it's not what a lot of the people in the audience would expect from one either. Yeah, so having, having done uh, just a little bit of reading around this, um, to be honest, I... My feelings watching this match and watching that injury were just that that selling was, I mean, give Aja Kong an Oscar if it's fake. At the very least, I think there's something wrong. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if she was wrestling five days later and she'd like torn a, a ligament or something like that because Japan in the 90s. Um, but it's, I mean, it's genuinely painful to watch. Like she cries and screams and rides around on the floor and she is genuinely... I, no one's that good at consistently limping. I just, I, you know, I. Most people really like, even if they're faking a limp, they are not that good at it. She, so she, I, she, I really do. Uh, I, if it's a work, then that's incredible. But the amazing thing about this is that actually, when I look at, it, so if you look at um, reviews of the match online, they usually talk about Kong working a leg injury, and then like looking at sort of reviews on Cage Match are always quite interesting. Now, as we know from previous discussions, you take everything on Cage Match with a pinch of salt. But there's a lot of there are people saying the working and the selling of the leg injury is great, um, and then you've got people saying whether it's real or not, it adds to the match. So I suppose there's an extent to which it doesn't necessarily matter. But holy shit, this this match is kind of harrowing by the end actually yeah but i i think well it, what does it add to the match? i think it adds to the match but like does it add to the match in context i would argue not just mm. because i'm saying i mean look if if the idea is that they are setting up the eventual kong hokuto match for the red belt which as we know never actually happened but uh for the title at least but if that's what they're setting up are they telling the story okay you beat a version of Arjigong who was injured and had been through two grueling matches already uh, you know, what happens when you're against Arjun Khan when she is 100%? In fairness, both of them are banged up because Hokuto had a bandaged up thigh and, knee, thigh and knee going into the last match. So, and, you know, an early part of this match sees uh, so it sees Kong, like, kicking Akira Hokuto in her injured thigh. So we know that there was, there was a lot of kind of working over being willing to exploit injuries and pushing all of that. It's just that, I don't know, maybe it's because Akira Hokuto is so used to being permanently injured and she's used to fighting through the pain in a way that maybe Aja's character is not. Maybe it's just the fact that she can't do it. One thing that I think it does do is it makes this story, despite everything that we've been saying throughout about Akira Hokuto being the the main event of the, being the main event and the main character of arguably this entire show, certainly the tournament, it does make Aja Kong more the main event because she absolutely gets like the hero's response for the fact that like Aja Kong is generally quite feared by the audience but by the end of this match they are absolutely cheering for her because everybody is 100% believing that she's fighting through incredible pain 
Yeah, I mean, they've actually managed to turn Arja Kong into an underdog. I, yeah. I mean, fair play. I mean, the other thing I would say as regards to, uh, yeah, this match probably does put Arja Kong over more than it puts over Hokuto. And again, in in its context in the tournament, Kong has wrestled for a combined 32 minutes. Hokuto has wrestled for about 15, 16. Uh, so Kong's actually had the the harder routes to the finals in terms of the amount of wrestling she's had to do. And... Yeah, and she's not yeah. used to carrying the kind of injuries that Hokuto is. So it, there's every chance that it's gonna there's every chance it's gonna have a different impact on her. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I just I just think it's a strange way to have Hokuto win the tournament. Whereas, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I guess Arjun's the champion, so you do want to put her over in some respects while having her take the loss. So again, maybe that's maybe that's the out. That's the thing. It's fascinating. There's so much to get into, even leaving aside like all, you know, all the other stuff that comes after this. Uh, you know, it, it, it's just, you know, was it work or wasn't it? Why do they do it like this? I, I think that certainly the fact we're still considering it in these terms 30 years on, um, I, I think shows, OK, like maybe it's not the best tournament final in the world, but like yeah, you, it, it certainly provides talking points. It's very logical tournament booking in the sense that you should be knackered you should be a bit broken down you should actually be quite injury prone after you've already exerted yourself that much and you can argue that um Hokuto gets the upper hand because she was able to see off her earlier opponents much more easily as well you know it's about what have you got like you know what have you got left in the tank whereas Kong has maybe had to work a bit harder before this and that's kind of how tournaments work yeah I suppose the question is do you make that the main event of your show? And do you make that what you send fans home with? And that, to be honest, was part of the reason why I was more inclined to believe that this was a, a shoot than a work. Um, but I think it's quite, I mean, if it is a work, it's its brave booking as well, to be honest. I, th- I think it comes back to what we were talking about with the Svetlana Gundarenko, uh, Shinobu Kandori um, excrescence when we did Puro Puro episode 27. Like, look, would you do this on purpose? Uh, but like the, it's not so clear cut with this because we've just given a myriad of reasons why actually yeah they could easily have planned this this could have been exactly what they intended to do there's John. no other match like it like there, there's no yes. there, there's no match that comes even near to this in what it does like it is an entirely unique one of a kind match that will never be replicated because quite frankly if anyone anyone else tried to do, ham up this sort of heartstring tugging I'm sorry I love you Ric Flair cod theatrics it would be terrible it would basically be Gargano Champa is what it would be why why am I so violent as I stare at my hands right this is very much why am I so violent hand staring done well it's done the acting is done really well and it, it's it's great and it, you'll never see another match like it no one will ever be able to capture the essence of this match and if you're going to have a match that's going to be the final of a tournament at Big Egg, make it the only match. Make it that match that's never going to be replicated again. And they've done that. So you know what? Fair play to them. I, I really enjoyed this, right? Other people don't enjoy it so much. Um, but I really, really enjoyed it. Again, you'll never see a match like it. And the fact that it's so unique is a great plus point for it and should be commended for, for me anyway. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, again, adding fuel to the fire is, uh, I mean, we should probably get back to talking about the actual match itself rather than the uh, the stuff surrounding it. But uh, yeah, a lot of these moves look like absolute shit as well <laughs> um, from the, from then on. I mean, firstly, and again, maybe this uh, 
suggested is a word because Hokuto puts uh, Kong in the Scorpion Deathlock and really there's a back. lot of really yeah. brutal working the knee from that point actually yeah. as well so they start off it's a match that starts out with like all the respect in the world and then it's like now nah, work the injurish catwalk yeah and um there is uh, yeah more horrifying noises before Kong gets the ropes. Hokuto hits a really sloppy Northern Lights bomb and then a proper one which uh, gets a two count and Kong hits a desperation Uriken which and then she's just beating her knee to get the feeling back into it, which is um, something that we see for later in the match. Again, if it was really torn, would you be doing that? Who knows? Um, a horrifying brain buster from Kong. It's really more like an impaler. She does not get Hokuto close to vertical. It really ends up being like a Bloody Sunday or like a really um, elevated DDT. Yeah, that was, uh, that looks quite iffy. She then hits a Northern Lights bomb of her own, goes at top for the splash, but misses, and then rolls onto the ramp after this. Uh, you know, clearly really feeling it again. And they do a bit where the ref is talking to her, clearly saying, you know, do you want to continue? And Kong's just yelling at him, telling him to fuck off and gets like this huge ovation from the crowd for her uh, attempts to get back into the ring. Yeah, like just like great emotion uh, with this, like the crowd clearly completely buy into her struggle. Like, again, whether it's real or not, they completely buy into it. Um, after they keep that, kicking out. Yeah. That's the thing. I just I don't understand if it's a shoot if, if it's a shoot injury. Um, to me, I mean, she keeps kicking out, but I'm not entirely surprised that given the culture and the fact that Kong is here working with somebody who I can't stress this enough, broke her neck and wrestled two further falls a few years earlier. Like, I'm not surprised they were all permanently banged up because of the schedules that they worked. Like finishing the match on the grandest stage of them all, regardless of how utterly fucked you are. That, to me, also feels very on brand, to be honest. Like, it doesn't seem to me like they would be like, no, this is the match that we planned. We are going to get through it. I could completely see this being a show and them feeling like they had to finish the match anyway. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you're you're in the main event of the biggest show you will ever work. You're going to get to the end if you physically, humanly can, no matter how fucked up you are. Um, Backdrop from Hokuto for two once Kong's back in the ring and a missile drop kick. She tries another one, but Kong kicks her out of the air for fuck's sake. <laughs> she puts Hokuto on the top rope, but Hokuto kind of, I don't know really what it was, kind of a, um, the kind of a, a Kiritawe type choke slam. She kind of just like um, shoves her off with her palm. Northern Lights suplex for a one count and a heel hook by Hokuto, after which Arj- uh, Kong very hurriedly gets the rope, suggesting she was very much not up for that. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we get back to the uh, another feeling out process. Um, Kong hits an Uriken and then a backdrop. Another Uriken, but uh, they're too close to the ropes and uh, Hokuto uses that veteran ring awareness uh, to grab the bottom rope. Hokuto ducks another Uriken and kind of a bit of a messy roll-up, which kind of a crucifix transitioned into a sunset flip, I guess it was, which um, gets a two, and then just picks Kong up and hits three consecutive Northern Lights bombs, and then get, that gets the three. Quite an abrupt finish, I thought, but, I mean, yeah, certainly decisive. I'll give it that. Yeah, Hokuto doesn't even look happy. No, she doesn't. That's part of the point, isn't it? This feels like a Pyrrhic victory. Yeah, it does. And again, it, it's fascinating. Pyrrhic victory because she was injured, or, it, you know, in think of it in terms of the recent princess princess championship match between yukisakasaki mizuki in tokyo joshi at grand mm. grand princess the way that that was booked uh with yuka not wanting to fight mizuki and 
almost letting her win. And if they're sensible, I think they can have a really good storyline about the idea that Mizki isn't 100% satisfied because she didn't beat the best version of Yuka that she possibly could. She beat someone who wasn't giving it her all. And I, I think I think you that's a similar dynamic, which is at play here with uh, Hokuto. Like, we were looking more concerned than happy. I mean, they, so they both end up, like, the, the bell rings, they both end up, they are just spent on the mat. Like, Hokuto is sat there. She sort of sat with one knee up. Um, Aja lays there for a while, and then she sits up, and then she gets given back her title belt, and she puts the belt on the mat between them, because she, you know, she knows that that's kind of where this is going. She's kind of setting that up. They're both... You know they're both crying. You know they cry. They cry very soon. They have all the pro. They have all the promo stuff going on. But Arja is. People are chanting for Arja Kong. Like nobody chanted for Arja Kong. She was a terrifying heel. But people are chanting for her because they've so bought into this. And again, just the fact that oh, she looks like she's in so much pain. I'm looking back over my notes and I really believe. I'm thinking about it with a slightly more rational hat on now and seeing how it could go either way. But in the moment watching this match, I 100% thought this was real. Yeah, and I kind of do still fall on that side because she's so struggling. Like she, she absolutely can't. She can't get out of the ring without help. It's really, you know, it gets really brutal actually. Um, but then there's, you know, the crowds chanting for her, and then she does her promo. Hokuto does hers after Arja has sort of been carried out. Hokuto does does sort of her promo, and she's really emotional because then kind of the focus is back on her. Well, and she kind of starts talking about you know about herself um but there's just a long period there where then like nobody really feels good about the fact that we're going through a hundred different sponsors seemingly giving out <laughs> winners prizes and the like like a noble can even be happy about the fact that they're given they're being given a large novelty check akira hoxha has literally won the postcode lottery and she's <laughs> fucking tr- like our face is tripping her like she's sitting there for like yeah exactly so many novelty checks and trophies and stuff like that Actually, when I was I watched this with Linda, and she said to me, "Do they get a big egg?" <laughs> oh my god! Like, why did nobody get a big egg? Like a Faber, or just a big egg? Yeah, like I was like, "Oh my god, why didn't they do a Fabergé egg?" Um, that would have been incredible. But yeah, but um, I, I loved all the the pomp and circumstance of so, so many checks, more checks than Prague Town Centre, and like, trophies <laughs> at the Wazoo. More checks in the Velvet Revolution. There you go. Um, so and, many, like, so tired-looking salarymen and, like, many of possibly, like, the same women that were handing out flowers and stuff before the match all reappearing for photo opportunities and, like, handing, like, a series of increasingly large trophies. Yeah, the, one of the novelty checks is for 15 million yen. That's so much money. It's a lot of money. Um, it, it did have the big air of uh, whenever you see a football team, they post up, you know, the man of the match is sponsored by a butcher's, but they've actually got beat like 5 0 in a derby or something like that. And there's this really sad player um, being given a bottle of champagne or like a check or something like that. And no one wants to be there. It was very much like that. It was, it was, it was something else. The picture of Connor Salmon with that pizza. I think we're both we're both thinking of that now. The most yes. the most aggrieved a man has ever looked to get get an award from the sponsor. Um, exactly. I, I like the sponsor, which was just I think it said Big Mama. The katakana said uh, just a big picture of a fish. Like here's your 15 million yen. Here's a fish. That that, that was what Linda said. She's like, has Akira Hokuto just won a fish? I'm like, <laughs> Maybe. 
possibly. I'm um, so confused by the giant fish. Uh, what I love as well is that they, they get... While we're in, begging. While we... You know, it's been like 17 hours. Can you imagine you're in that crowd? And you've been there for like an entire fucking day. Like, suns have risen and, you know, um, have set in the time that this has been on. And you're sitting there sleep deprived. You want to go home. And then suddenly a big giant sign out if a fish on it comes out and you're just like, <laughs> what is going on here? You've like, needed a shit for four hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, what I love as well about the presentation, all the VTOP competitors come back. Combat Toilet put on some shades, incredibly based, and is also wearing her branded FMW tracksuit, get the badge in. Um, well, actually, the, all of them seem to be wearing the tracksuits that they were wearing in the opening ceremony. Ah, uh, that's that's a nice touch, and you get the you get the outsiders on one side of the ring, and the AJW lasses on the other. Uh, meanwhile, Archie Kong is just on the deck while all this is going. Like, get this woman to a hospital. <laughs> Reprehensible. This is like John McCarthy in UFC levels of just you know not not knowing when the check is up and people are seriously injured. You know, get get this woman out of here right now. But no, just lying there on the floor, watching Akira Hokuto receive her big fish. It's it's so good, and we do get um probably the I didn't know this was a thing the title belt that you get for winning the V top. Yeah, it's got side plates with logos of all the promotions that were involved in the tournament, which I thought was quite cool. Uh, it should be a we, thing for all tournaments. Like, yeah, you yeah. should win a belt when you get a tournament. That it's like that the easiest thing, and give it to the person, give it to the wrestler. They've won the belt. That's it. Because like when you win a trophy in sports, you get a trophy. Like you get a winner's medal, or you get. Like a man in a match trophy or you know 10 kg of beef from the local butcher because you're a man in a match you know something but you don't really do that in wrestling you get the belt but the belt's not yours you don't own it and i think definitely the, they should give you the belt as you know for winning the tournament i know it's i know it's worked but you, you know what i mean it's an achievement yeah and it's a it's a, it's a nice looking belt as well i'd like to see that on sale in the Todokan when uh, when sarah and i go to japan but uh just just i mean i don't know what is surely one of the most minor of uh Akira Hokuto's accolades in terms of his actual prestige, but it is a belt for the VTOP tournament, so like that's great. And not and not only that, after she gets presented with her belt, she puts the red belt around Archie Kong's waist, and they have just this big cry on each other's shoulders. It's really, really affecting. It's so emotional. Yeah, I really thought I, I really loved that because I feel like I said the the respect between the two competitors is so strong. It's strong right from the off, you know. And there's there's no room for respect in the middle of a match. But then they're back. They've always supported each other all the way through, you know, through their careers, I guess, really. They've kind of not been that far apart from each other, really. Um, Yeah, I just thought it was really nice for two contemporaries and two friends who've literally climbed the mountain, sort of often side by side and often, you know, chasing each other and often pushing each other up the mountain to have that moment, literally the biggest stage either of them will ever see. Hokuto you know, her speech makes it very clear exactly what it means to her to be there. And then as she's leaving, she leaves the VTOP tournament belt on the ramp and leaves it there kind of in the Tokyo Dome, kind of almost leaves it there as a tribute. That felt like a wonderful way to leave, to, to end that show. You know, and if the crowd believes that this is the end of Akira Hokuto's career, then what a way to go. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that was Big Egg Wrestling Universe. <laughs> Guys, we did it. Holy shit, we got there. God, and you know what? Hey, 
there was no big egg at the end of big egg. <laughs> I'll be going to the can in about four weeks. Looking, can I? I would like to buy the big egg from big egg. What? Maybe the real big egg was the Indian children we met along the way. <laughs> no, Canaan citizen Kane. Yeah, this is mad. We started. We have seen so much on this show. We have seen. We saw an opening ceremony to put the Olympics to shame with people carrying standards, standards for their companies of all things. We've seen, you know, the legends. We've seen Chigasana Gaya's come back. We've seen, you know, the birth of Gaya. Really, the fact that she's built, she's using this opportunity to kind of start introducing some of Gaya to the world. We've seen people like Candy Akutsu, who's a, a junior, who, you know, you could argue that being part of Big Egg would be one of the reasons why people have heard names like that. Um, you know, we've had minis matches. We've had an inexplicable men's tag match, mostly to give Kong a breather. We've had bizarre shoot matches that were kind of like part work, part shoot, part don't really know what was going on whatsoever. We've had idols. We've had masked wrestlers. We've had Shinobu Kandori refusing to job. We've had so many things go on. And then it finally gets into us talking about the big egg and it you really can see like this card is really weird and it undulates along the way but you can't argue that it doesn't like rise to a crescendo at the end no ab- absolutely it's certainly a fitting end to the show and the the, the variety well, on show has been amazing speaking of a fitting end um did you watch the, the like the three minute ending video afterwards no no so there was a three minute ending video afterwards right and um, it's like it's like two it's two of the commentators sitting there and they're they're do, they're taking away the ring and stuff like. That. And right, I I will say this. Usually, see this sitting there going, David's really setting up a gag here, right? And I'm not right. You you can watch it yourself. However, um, I I found out what the translation was, and it's not in a match that they said. This is genuinely what the translation was. And they're sitting there for a minute or two, or whatever, and they were talking away. And they said, at the end, I believe in Japanese, it's probably not an an exact translation. However, they go, let's do it again next year. No, (laughs) let's not. Let's never do it. (laughs) Let's not. Here's a question then. Based on everything that we've seen over the past God knows how long, is Big Egg Wrestling Universe a good show? Yes. Yes. One of the best. (laughs) One of the best. Like it's it's amazing. We haven't we we went for all these. If you you can go back and listen to all of these episodes, and I think we are universally positive, apart from you, Sarah, shoot fighters and Indian children. But I mean, apart from those ones, we we universally liked every match. I cannot think of a pay per view where the the bar is so high in terms of the level of us enjoying every match. There's not a dud on here. I, I, think, I think there are some matches that are more enjoyable than others. Yeah, I think if we're leaving aside the the shoot fight, I I think that the, I don't the even reason... think it's that. I feel like there is a. I feel like there's maybe a five hour version of this show which is good and which actually probably maintains like the same breadth and diversity of you know types of matches, but maybe just kind of does one of each of them. And honestly, because I think even if like the hit rate of matches, as we've discussed, is you know probably is probably pretty solid, isn't part of booking a good wrestling show pacing a wrestling show okay and that's I, what i don't think it does one thing i would say is like it's obviously way too long there are not many shows out there where i could say this had m- much more good than bad despite the fact there was a solid hour and a half of co- constant shite near the start of it but let's think of it and you're gonna hate me for this comparison do you remember the 14-way divas match at wrestlemania 30 
yes. been trying to block that out ever since right. it happened. So, but carry on. Obviously, you shouldn't do a 14-way match. Certainly not one that lasts out in many minutes, like seven or eight minutes. Uh, that one did. But that was the best possible version of that match they could have done. I think this is the best possible 10-hour Joshi Wrestling show that there could possibly be. Now, whether you should do a 10-hour show is another matter. But I would say that, like, did they stick the landing? I mean, the proof is in the pudding. We're not, we're not talking about Big Egg Wrestling Universe and saying, fuck, what a car crash that was. Like, what a gigantic waste of all of our time. We're saying, yeah, way too long, but Jesus Christ, there was so much good stuff on this show. I don't think you can you can say that it it's not good, even though the pacing is weird. Just accept that the pacing is a thing that happened. They decided to do a 10-hour show for whatever reason, and taking it on its own terms, yeah, I think it was great. I will say, who after after the the day it happened, who is watching this in a ten hour chunk? No one. Yeah, true. No one is ever watching this in ten hour. Apart from us, in a year or two, when we go to your house and we just decide, why do we just watch all of Big Egg? And we'll go, no, we lived through the trauma already. We don't we don't need to do this to ourselves again. Yeah, like no, you no, you're watching it. Probably like we did. You're probably watching it in chunks. You're watching like two or three matches at a time. You're you're divvying it up. No one in their right mind should be watching this in, te- in its full glory, one you know, one after the other, each match in one go. It's insane. However, again, if you divvy it up into like three three hour shows, you know, great, great, great stuff. You could you can format it in a way that makes it enjoyable for you. To kind of criticize it for being ten hours and say it's like unwatchable, you know, like it's unwatchable in that sort of format. It is, but no one is watching it in that format. And I think that's also something you have to consider that no one's going to watch it in that format okay so for the people in the room is this because i think you're right that you can break it into three three hour shows but i do think that three hours of that is also just not very good so is this more of a festival show than a headline set in the sense of like you turn up at like you're there at lunchtime and then you go off and get some food you know during the store during the bands that you're not really interested in like you go and hang out for a bit wander around you know check out you know some people go and check out the comedy tent then you go but you go and like you hang out and then you just go back for the stuff that you really want to see has anybody sat there and watched like every single match because I, I think it must have been a bit more of a drop-in to be honest i mean surely you get deep vein thrombosis if you didn't get out of your seat for the entirety of this no i i think well, there must have been an intermission surely sure well isn't well yeah because isn't that when the indian kids were were wrestling wasn't that basically meant that was basically oh, yeah. kind of like a halfway point wasn't it it's a, it's a good point because yeah i definitely want to watch that so i've lost my intermission but yeah. I think and there's quite long gaps in between some of the matches, in fairness, because I think by the time you've done exits and you've done clean-up and then you've got entrances again, there probably are some quite long gaps and between as, some as well as that, when you watch it in the video, there's interviews top and tailing every match. Yeah, true. So, yeah, um, it's it's a little bit different from being there. But no, I, no, you couldn't physically sit there the whole time. Yeah, mm. I, th- I think Sarah's hit on exactly the right way to think about it this is a festival of pro wrestling it it, it it genuinely is like it it brings together so many different styles of wrestling so many different companies uh it is a celebration of women's wrestling with ajw at its core but it is a celebration of of the art and if there is one show that could be 10 hours then i'm glad it was this one i think that's probably quite fair actually like i i guess it i think it's 
I, I think the jury's out on whether it is a top to bottom good show for me. But I think it's I think what you can argue is that it is a great show and great in the sense of kind of like great moments in history and all the things that it represents, you know, represented at the time and now represents, you know, for us nearly nearly 30 years on. There'll never be another one. Mind you, actually, that's a different that's an interesting question, isn't it? There'll never be another one like this. Whether there could potentially be another big egg wrestling universe of its kind, I think might be an interesting question for next time. I think it might, because as Sarah has alluded to, we are done with Big Egg Wrestling Universe, but we are not for the moment done with Big Egg Podcasting Universe. We are going to do episode 15. This is going to be a recap slash sum up episode. We are going to be just talking about what our favorite matches from the show. Yeah, we'll do. We'll talk about our favorite matches, maybe give a top three. Uh, or top five we'll do some awards we will talk about the prospects for another show of this caliber of this stature could it happen could we get a big egg to it not in the budokan or at Sumo hall or anything like that the legit tokyo dome could a women's wrestling show at the dome ever happen again and also we are going to be and uh, um, at the time of recording i've already put out a tweet asking for this we want our listeners to give us their big egg card we want you to say if there was going to be another big egg show what would you put on it using modern day wrestlers there is a catch you have to do it using a template i have provided so we are getting something which is true to the spirit of big egg wrestling universe so we're going to have a rookies match we're going to have some indian wrestlers we're going to have minis we're going to have a terrible work shoot we're going to have a v-top we're going to have an unnecessary men's match that no one's sure why it's there all of it and we want you to give us your version of that i've already received some in the dms and i have to say absolutely delightful we're going to be putting our own cards together as well we want to hear from you the listeners so i think that's going to be enough for a very full and frank episode 15 and then that can finally get this goddamn show out of our lives once and for all okay so with that all said shall we do some plugs okay so um i run a party festival podcast called draw is a draw um, I can't even use the normal gag of, you know, everything's rosy and panty and we're going we're going for the title. We fucked it, right? And we've still got like six, seven weeks to go <laughs> and we've absolutely fucked it. So I can't even make that gag because you're gonna put this out in like two weeks and it's not it, it, you know, it's not it's not the same gag. But um we are um uh, chronicling our descent into fifth place mediocrity um this season as the battle for the playoffs continues. And we're also doing lots of cool things. i done an episode quite recently um, about the Tenant Sixes, which was a, a weird six-a-side football tournament at the SCCC that we won the last ever one of. Um, I'd, I'd done a full hour and 50-minute documentary about it. I went to the Tenants Brewery and met a lot of the players who um, were the winners that day. Um, and yeah, it was just a great, great fun. It was one of the most professional things I've ever done both in terms of podcast editing and just in, in generally in life, actually meeting, um, you know, these people and interviewing them in a very serious, well, not serious, but you know what I mean? Um, it, it was a lot of work um, and I would appreciate it if you listen to it because you don't need to like Fissle, don't even need to like football. It's basically 90s nostalgia. It's basically about Glasgow in the 90s and, you know, people uh, giving their memories of the tournament and it's, yeah, it's great fun and really silly um, as well as that Part of this will have Jags for Goods, the charity, um, doing lots of social justice stuff. Um, actually, yesterday they had a event 
um, at the Dry Gate, um, where they reunited the 12-13 Championship winning side. An incredible night. I, I, I'll say it right now, um, Stevie Lawless is the Scott Steiner of football. Um, give that man a live mic and good grief. He's, he's going off for hours. You could, you could have him on stage for four hours, a couple of cans, and he will absolutely decimate all of his teammates. It's incredible. I sat and spoke to him afterwards. Uh, we had a 25-minute chat about how amazing Pink Floyd are. It's not the sort of chat I expected from Stevie Lawless, one of my heroes. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, we talked. We talked about that, and yeah, Jags are good. They mentioned at the show that they have, they're, they're doing the tally up um, in terms of with the raffle and the proceeds from yesterday. Um, and uh, Mary Black was there actually; she was one of the guests as well. Um, and yeah, they've raised eight grand at least for like charity in North Glasgow and food banks, and that's not including the food bank donations you get at every game. Um, unfathomable the amount of stuff that they've done um, to help the local community. So yeah, Jags are good. Uh, donate some money to that. Or if you're in the Mary Hill area and you're going by Tesco and Mary Hill Road on Saturday, go and buy some cans and donate them into the game before because uh, they really need it in a moment. As well as that, I wanted to just give a shout out to the workers of uh, the 13th Note and uh, Saramago because um, there's a huge thing in Glasgow at the moment where all the vegan cafes are kind of Unionising and kind of organising amongst themselves to for better working conditions. I am involved in an event called Industrial Action for not Industrial Music for Industrial Action. It's called. Uh, we're doing it. No, I believe it's the twenty third of April. Um, it would be. Um, at the thirteenth note, everything's going to the striking uh, workers at Saramago and the thirteenth note. And you know, stereo, mono, old hairdressers. They're going to be doing stuff as well very soon. So, um, yeah, show a bit of solidarity with the vegan cafe workers because, I mean, they gave me my entire 20s are spent in vegan cafes listening to weird grindcore bands. They, you know, the least I could do is support them, you know, when they're, when they're going for a shit time. So, yeah, seek that out. Jack's for good. I'm, I'm just going to reiterate that plug because it sounds like they're doing absolutely amazing stuff, you know, up, up, there, in, up there in Glasgow. What have I got to plug? Um, firstly, follow me on Twitter um, at Sarah Parkin One because anything that I forget to plug here, I will end up like shamelessly tweeting out there as well. Um, I'll be publishing some show notes um, as well, kind of accompanying material for this episode as I, as I usually do. It's kind of odd to think that we're getting near the end of those, to be honest. There's not going to be many more of them to do. I'm going to have to think of things to publish on the website now. Um, so yeah, keep an eye out. So keep an eye out for those um, elsewhere. I contributed an essay to a book that came out kind of roundabout very slightly before we released the first Big Egg Podcasting Universe. So again, it's quite long in the tooth now, um, but it's a book called Women Love Wrestling, which is basically writing by and about women who love wrestling or are in some way kind of related to the wrestling industry. So there's some amazing writing going on in there. There's some really interesting interviews and some really interesting insights. My essay is basically about the concept of a female fan base for wrestling and the fact that it's always existed, but companies haven't wanted to acknowledge it necessarily. Um, but if that doesn't sound interesting to you, it's just one. There's a bunch of essays in there. Knock yourself out. Um, so you can get that on Amazon and you can get it in other places as well. But crucially, um, proceeds from that will go to rain in the US and women's aid in the UK so really good causes and if you don't fancy the book took them some money anyway um elsewhere I have recently appeared a few times on the must see matches podcast which is always super fun and it's um, Mark Buckledy and Kieran Lafort working their way through um, a kind of a, a fan 
sort of voted Twitter project, um, discovering what people consider to be the must-see matches in kind of the wrestling canon, if you will. So they've got just over just over a hundred matches, um, basically depending on kind of what people voted for in the original in the original poll. It's fascinating. Um, um, so they keep inviting me back, but I've spoken about quite a few kind of classic Joshi matches. Um, and most recently, um, last week, I was on there talking about Bianca Belair versus Sasha Banks from WrestleMania in 2021. Um, so, you know, really is a, a pandemic era the pandemic era WrestleMania, which is absolutely fascinating when you put it in, in context as well. So that's must-see matches. So you can look for that on Twitter as well or wherever you get your podcasts, take a look at must-see matches. And I think that's it for me. Okay. So you can follow me at twitch.tv forward slash Lord Tenpai. I mostly stream Mahjong. Sometimes I do other things. I've done some crosswords recently. People seem to like that. It was an interactive stream, by which I mean mostly people just shouting answers at me. All good fun. Um, you can buy my novel, The Rise and Fall of Rick Dozan, for £2.49 for your Kindle and £17.99 for print-on-demand paperbacks. Had a lot, lots of good reviews, including a new five-star review very recently. Thank you, Mr Meltzer. Um, you can... Um, well, what you're doing, at Sarah, um, uh, the musty matches said when they're going to invite me on to review all the Punjabi prison matches. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they've not yet, but assume that they'll contact you directly. I've given them your Twitter handle. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, yes. Um, you can read my writing at uh, marshmallowbomb.substack.com. I've been doing some long reads for this uh, writing project, which is a collective of a few of us helmed by our friend Luke. Um, a recent one I have done is... It's about how Mihiro Kiryu from uh, Tokyo Joshi uh, inspired me to keep going with my Mahjong career. And uh, it's, it's kind of meditation on loss as well as just a um, comparison of the ways in which Mahjong is like pro wrestling. I've also done stuff to do with uh, match length. I've done the first and possibly only analysis that will ever happen in the world of letters of the wrestling references in Salmon Rushdie's novels. So yeah, it's, it's quite eclectic and not just my writing. You've got uh, you've got show reviews, things about Lucha. You've got uh, Luke's monthly roundups of stuff what's going on in wrestling, which I would say are indispensable at this point. As far as the podcast as a whole goes, you can follow us on Twitter at Pro Podcast and you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio and on iTunes. Um, we will be back for episode number 15 of Big Egg Podcasting Universe, the 15th and final episode. Lord Almighty, we will see you then. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>